Crossbridge Pinecrest. So good. So good. What an excitement it is. It is, and um, you know, how nostalgic in some ways. And it just brings back so many uh, life-giving uh, memories and the moments we forged uh, here. And uh, just the, the encouragement, the reminder that God continues to work in and through each and every one of you. And so uh, before we get into anything else, the, I, I feel the need. We need, to, we need to cover these three things real, real quick. First, we are always thinking and praying for each and every one of you. We love you dearly. And uh, we recognize that if not for your faithfulness and your deposit into the work of the gospel here in the, in the city, Crossbridge Homestead wouldn't have been a uh, reality. So thank you so much. Okay, we love you, and we're grateful to God for, uh, for your lives. Number two, I just want to report that God is powerfully at work at Crossbridge Homestead. Not a day goes by, not a week goes by that we don't hear the stories of what he is doing in our midst, and you have every part in it. Just last week, you know, as a, as, as a, as a small replant of a church as we are, we were able to fill up three truck loads filled with goods and and non-perishable clothes and toiletry items and send it over to our brothers and sisters on the West Coast, you know, uh, greatly impacted by uh, Hurricane Ian. And uh, this, this uh, morning, we actually have the principal of Homestead Middle School participating in our worship service down there in Homestead to forge, to, to affirm, you know, this partnership between church and the local neighboring uh, schools. I could go on and on and on, but God is so much at work uh, there, and uh, I, just, I just need to report that we're, we are a, a product of uh, your prayers, and we're a product of your faithfulness. And so, uh, last but not least, continue to lift us up before the Lord, continue to be reminded of uh, the work that uh, God has birthed uh, from Pinecrest, so I call Homestead Pinecrest South, uh, way south, um, and, uh, but Pray for us, lift us. We, we, we couldn't ask for anything else. The greatest gift we could receive from you is to know that your knees on the ground and you're mindful uh, to, uh, to pray for us, uh, that God would continue to open new doors, frontiers, show favor, and uh, that the work of the gospel would be, um, you know, would uh, reach so many of the lives and the families there that need it. So uh, follow us, okay, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or whatnot, and connect us with those of, of in your spheres of influence that live in the south part of Miami-Dade County there as well. We're there to serve them, okay? Good? Ah, this is awesome. Yeah, give yourself a hand. This is uh, such a privilege. We have a short time, and so we're going to try to condense in our Bible study. We're continuing in this series called Activated. And uh, we're journeying in the same sermon series all throughout our campuses. And, um, and today, we're camped on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And we'll read these passages together. Whatever device, smart device you have, if you have a Bible and you brought or asked it, you would open that. And we're going to draw our attention to the um, reading of God's Word. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 4 through 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God that is at work. 
Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul's letter to the church in Rome in the first century, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us, one body, one of many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord given to the people of God. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate our minds that we may be encouraged. Father, you are altogether holy, altogether other. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are wise beyond tracing out. God, you are sovereign, and you have brought us here. So speak to us again through your word, namely Christ, and by your Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and our hearts to see and to be transformed by your radical grace again. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All God's people said, amen. This series, if you've been tracking with us very quickly, is about taking an inductive look at the gifts that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, has so deliberately distributed and given to his people, to the church, for God's glory, and as we read in the text, for the common good, for building up the body, for the flourishing of all people. And that's what we're studying, and that is our prayer and our desire as well, as you've heard probably before. We're not aiming for a room filled with people necessarily as much as we're aiming for people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And that there are utterances of the gifts that God has given to equip and to tool his people to be effective witnesses, to make a difference, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus right where God has placed us, with the platform that he has given us for his glory, for our joy, for your joy, and for the flourishing of this city. So we're talking about the activated life, the kind of life that God intends for us. The activated life, the life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The operating mode is the Holy Spirit. It's not your giftedness. It's not your strength. It's not your proclivities. It's not your preferences. You operate out of the strength that the Holy Spirit provide. And when we look in the New Testament, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, there are many gifts. There's a, a whole laundry list of gifts. And there's many other spiritual gifts not listed there elsewhere in the New Testament. But if you were to put them all together, just visually, 
Uh, most scholars, most biblical scholars and commenters would say that these gifts are divided into three categories. Okay? There are word gifts, gifts of teaching, gifts of imparting uh, knowledge. There are power gifts, and there are compassion gifts. Okay? And this morning, just for the sake of our study, we're focusing on the latter, on the compassion gifts. Particularly, I uh, would like to call them the love gifts. And particularly, we're looking, we're honing in on just one spiritual gift, and we're going to try to unpack it and make the most of it and apply it, and that is the gift of encouragement. Someone say encouragement. Encouragement. Let's look at it very quickly through the most common three lenses, which is what, why, and how, okay? There's your sermon outline. What is it? Let's define it. Let's try to get it, understand it. The why, what is its purpose? Why has God given us this gift? And how are we to apply it? How is it to express itself or manifest itself in our lives? Without further ado, number one, what? Let's look at defining what encouraging really means or encouragement means. The original Greek word here in the text is the word Parakletos, okay? It also means the intended meaning of that word, such, such a rich idea, concept, is to come alongside, to exhort, to advocate, to help, to comfort. Isn't that great? When you look at the etymology of the word comfort in the Latin and you parse it to comfort, what do you think it means? Right? To co is to come alongside. It's to be with, right? A co-laborer that you might have. Someone that comes together. And to fortalize. Isn't that interesting? To give, to come alongside, to breathe strength. To fortify. To make you strong, coach. <laughs> to make you strong. Spiritually, not just physically strong, mentally strong, emotionally strong. To make you spiritually fit. To comfort. So the word parakletos, para means to come alongside. Kletos means to advocate or to support, to help, to lift up. Parakletos is the root word. Now, what's really interesting, and I'd love for you to just kind of hold on, grasp onto this, is that that word parakletos derives from the word paraklete, right, in its root, and that is the exact word for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. This is the only spiritual gift of all the spiritual gifts that we're going to study that is intrinsically, its meaning, the word, is intrinsically tied to the name given to the third person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. He is also called the paraclete. Where do we see that? We see that in John. John 14, verses 16 and 26. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another what? Advocate to help you and to be with you forever. I love that. He said, you think I was with you, but I'm not going to be with you a lot longer. But if you thought I was, gonna, I was going to be with you, I'm going to be with you all the more. <laughs> There's going to be an utterance of my presence 
you know, far beyond of what you're experiencing even right now. Because the Holy Spirit of God, the third person, is going to come to not just to live alongside of you, not to live with you, but to live in you. And he's going to advocate. He's going to encourage. He's going to exhort. That is who he is. He will be, he will be with you. When? Until when? Forever. But the advocate later in the same chapter, 10 verses later, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, you see how he qualifies? The paraclete whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. His name is the paraclete, is the one that comes alongside to comfort, to be with you. And that is the exact same word for the, for the, the same root word for the term encourage or to exhort. Also, encouragement is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because the the activated life is the life that has been encouraged by the Holy Spirit to encourage. Very simple. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? If you left here this morning, someone were to quiz you, you'd say the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to encourage. And so what is our ministry? Led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the filling of the Holy Spirit to encourage one another. The activated life is the encouraged life that encourages. We see that in Acts 4, very quick. There was a name when the historian Luke, the gospel writer, writing the book of Acts, which really should have been better entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God through the disciples, (laughs) encouraging the people, and the world has never been the same. There was a, a character in there by the name of Joseph, His name was Joseph, and he was from Cyprus, Joseph of Cyprus. But he was such an encourager that they changed his name. They they nicknamed him the encourager, which means Barnabas. And so you might have heard of Barnabas. And that's not his name, but it was the name given to him because of the expression, the manifestation, the fullness of how God was working in and through him to encourage the early church there in the first century. And there is a close tie with being filled by the Holy Spirit and the gift of encouragement. And we learn that in Acts 11, verse 24. When Luke, and Luke is very careful with his words. He's a wordsmith. Every word counts. He says, for Barnabas, he was a good man, and he was full of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, encouragement isn't just part of the love gifts, it is, or the compassion gifts. It's also part of the one another gifts, which means while there are some unique gifts that God has given and and, uh, he's bestowed upon each of you uniquely, right? Because we're a body and a body has many parts, many functions, and God has, you know, gifted each of us in different ways. The gift of encouragement is different. If you've been given the Holy Spirit, you've been given the gift of encouragement. Because that's who he is, the encourager. And to be filled with the Spirit means to encourage. And so the gift of encouragement, you might be uh, looking at the person next to you, and up until this point you're like, okay, pastor, and my spiritual gift assessments, it didn't appear. And maybe that's not my forte, that's not my gift. Maybe it's the gift of somebody else that I know. And I'm sorry to break the news to you. That every single believer, every single one of us has been called and charged to exercise this gift. Because 
We have received the paraclete. And God is causing us and propelling us to be the paracletos or the ones, those who encourage. Look at the Apostle Paul writing in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us, us who? All of us. Consider how to stir one another up in love and in good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is the language, a lot, very prominent language in the book of Hebrews, meaning just saying in these last days, in this last chapter of God's redemptive plan, before the curtain closes here, you know, encourage one another. Look around. You don't have to go very far. There are people right in your spheres of influence, people you rub shoulders with every single day, all day. They need to be encouraged, which leads us to our second point. Why? What is the purpose of the gift of encouragement? Why is it given to the church? Why is it that the, full, the filling of God's Holy Spirit, the expression of that is to encourage? Just look around you. Or look in the mirror. If you're anything like me, every day there's a great need to be lifted up, to be encouraged. It's the most obvious answer because we all need it. There's never been a time in history in the church and in our world where we look around and people are so timid. We're so bashful. We're so discouraged. The number one enemy in our lives, and those of you in leadership, Teachers, coaches, business owners, you know, all around us. Number one enemy in our world, the, the real epidemic is something called, a word called what? Fear. We're so afraid. We're so anemic. We're so atrophied by fear. We're so afraid. People all around us, and sometimes us included as well. We don't know where to turn. We're desperate. We're aimless. You know, there's a sense of fear and Panic that takes over us in our world and in our culture. Just a few weeks ago, we all experienced it, right? The news says there's a storm coming. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> there's a storm coming. <laughs> Traffic is miserable. Everybody's leaving work early. Well, I went to Publix. It was missing. Gillette blades. Well, remember two years ago when I get the toilet paper thing. <laughs> I get that. But Gillette blades? Where does that come from? Lime chips, empty, boom. What? Honey, no honey. <laughs> Entire Publix. Do you know any other Publix that has honey? No, no, they're all gone. Everybody took honey. Did you get that? I don't get that. World's gonna end. Maybe you've been sticking to that keto way too long, longer than you should, which the keto diet is the miserable life as they equate to each other. And so the world's gonna end. You're gonna end happy. You have to sweeten. You know, the last chapter of your life, pun intended. That's all we need often. No compass. Everything is wherever the wind blows. There's no anchor. We are filled with fear. We are afraid and never, never before has there ever been a time where people in your lives, in my lives, we need to be encouraged. All of us, we have these people. Have you noticed how the gift of discouragement doesn't appear in the list of gifts? <laughs> Why? That's an important question. It's not a funny question. It's an important question. 
You don't need to be given discourage, the gift of discouragement. You come with it. You are born with it. All of us. It's pre-programmed in us. What is it easier, to build up or to tear down? What's easier, to come alongside, lift someone up, or to criticize? To blacken the brightest sun, to cloud the clearest sky, the attitude, negative words, to make people's hearts droop. They induce faintness. Faintness is supposed to promoting faith. It's all about deflating. It's supposed to elevating. Always criticizing, scrutinizing the climate of pessimism all over them. You can feel it. You sense it in the room as soon as they walk in. Sometimes it's us. The narrative is that no one is good enough. Nothing is totally right the way exactly how I want it. Always tearing down, always patronizing, pointing out everybody's mistakes, focusing on obstacles, saying nothing is going to what? To work. And begin to fabricate fear. And it's a lot like the Holy Spirit of God to ever so graciously and deliberately to give us what we so desperately need, namely himself, the encourager. Causing our hearts to come alive, to encourage those within our circles of influence, our lives, people that we come in contact with every day. I don't have time to unpack this as much, but typically when a crisis hits, a crisis hits, there's three stages. And all of us, we've been through the greatest world crisis, you know, um, global crisis that, uh, that the history books haven't really quite talked about. And everything has changed. The world is different. And one thing that um, we knew is that there was going to go in three phases. There was going to be a physical aspect to the global crisis, right? The pathological, you know, one or the, the, the level of the, the rates of morbidity and, you know, how this crisis was really affecting us at a physical level. And then we knew it was going to move into a, a financial or an economical crisis. It was, it was going to begin to see its effects and take its toll on global economy. And many of us, we have felt that. Within our, within our uh, jobs and in our industries. And, and then there was one that we were told that was going to linger much longer and slower, dripping. And that is the crisis of the emotional crisis and the spiritual crisis. And those are the days, I believe, that we're beginning to live. There's people all around us. All they, they don't need another sermon. They don't need another book to read. They don't need another course to take. They don't need a, All they need is for those who have been made the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit to come alongside of them and to lift them up and to encourage them. Literally, I want you to hang on to this. What's the purpose of the gift of encouragement? Literally, to encourage is to put courage into somebody. <laughs> if you didn't get anything, get that. What did you learn this morning at church? That's what I learned. It's to open someone's chest cavity. It's to enter into someone's, because you're close, there's proximity, you're doing life with them. And you take the opportunity that God has given you to instill, to implant courage into their lives and into their heart. Brave. Make them brave. What is to encourage somebody is to make them brave, literally to put courage into someone. All of us 
have been given an opportunity to do that every single day. You see, the gift of encouragement, brothers and sisters, is, is costs you nothing. It's free. And you can begin today and every day. It shouldn't be a sporadic thing. It should be a constant in the life of those who are filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Here's something really, really cool as I was uh, camping and studying into, uh, and, and honing in into this gift. Of all of Jesus's, get, get this, grasp this, of all of Jesus's censoring commands, what I mean by censoring is don't do this, don't do that, watch out for this, be careful with this. Of all of Jesus's do not commands, the one that keeps recurring time and time and time again, in fact, it's three times as many as the closest other censoring commands of Jesus is which one? Do not fear. Isn't that amazing? He wants to combat that which is causing your heart to fold in into itself, to be discouraged, to be afraid, to be troubled, to be timid, to lack boldness. Do not fear. Take heart. Have faith. Look up. Let's go. Crossbridge, Pinecrest. Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy. Matthew 10, he says, I'm sending you as sheep among the wolves. I get it. I understand. The mission is not going to be easy. You're going to get bombarded left and right. There's so many competing voices for your heart's affection. You're going to need to be encouraged. Many, many, many times you're going to feel like quitting. Many, many times you're going to feel like giving up. Many, many, many times you're going to feel like turning around. Many, many times you're not going to believe it. You're going to say, maybe they're right. Maybe that voice that said, I was never going to amount to anything. It can't be done. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the giftedness. I don't have the education. I, maybe they're right. Many times you're going to be bombarded. But don't give up. Don't lose heart. See, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, empowered by the third person of the Trinity, encouraging, lifting us up, appropriating ourselves of what Jesus has done for us is reminding ourselves deep and wide of the encouragement that we have received. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus himself, he came and he did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. That's what we learn in Romans 12, 6. According to the grace given to each of us, that's the text that we read According to what, Pastor? Grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. You did not deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. It was given to you freely and deliberately and so lavishly. It was given to you by grace. So live according to this great love, this one-way, perfect, ineffable, amazing love that has been poured on you according to the grace received let this love flood your heart. This kind of love alone has the power to make you brave, to encourage you, to give you, to instill courage in you, to face everyday hurdles, the failures, the pains, the discouragement of everyday life. And that leads us to our third and our last point. We saw the what is the gift of encouragement. We saw the why. Now here is the how. Let's look at it. The practicalities, Pastor, how do, how, how, do I, how do I exercise this gift? Gifts, a lot of times, is like the muscles in your body. If you don't exercise it, it atrophies, you see? 
And so how can we do that? Precisely, number one, by reminding ourselves, our hearts, of the deep love that we have received. In other words, the gospel has to be the motivating factor to encourage others. Why do I say that? Really quickly, really, really quickly, just to qualify. Why does it have to do the gospel? Because if it's any other motive that fuels your encouragement to people, you're either going to belittle the gift or you're going to boast about it. When you belittle, right, when you belittle the gift, it's pep talk that at the end is really trying to get other people to love you. That's not what the spiritual gift of encouragement is. It's okay to say, come on, let's go tap in the back. But when you have a belittling uh, view of the gift and that's the motivating factor, then it's really all about you at the end. You see? It's all about getting others to approve of you. If you boast about it, then you use what you may label as encouragement to manipulate, to control. And you see both extremes, both misuse of the gift is not motivated by the gospel. It's not motivated by love. It's motivated by self. You see? So the first motivation of the gift, the, the first way by which we can, we, we can ask God's Holy Spirit to propel in us and to use us to exercise this gift, to, to see the expression of the gift of encouragement in our lives, is to remind ourselves of the good news of grace, of the gospel and what God has already done for us, doing for us what we could have never done for ourselves. You see? Breathing in us new life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's perfect work in our place alone. That is the first way. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit in John 14, you know, he calls the, the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. That's the second way is you rehearse and remind one another with what is already true. You don't come up with any sort of human device to encourage others. The blueprint the material is already given to you. What do you mean, Pastor? You encourage one another with the truth, with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of God's word, with the truth of who God is and what he has already done. Our hearts and the hearts of the people all around us, they're yearning and longing for this kind of encouragement that tells us that we're living for something greater than ourselves, to encourage us, to inspire, to inspire our souls to fight, to fight the good fight. We all know what is absolute and what is true, and to encourage is to give hope of the outcome of that battle already. You see? What kind of truth? The truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel says that God ends. In the end, God wins. And that should fortify you. He says it time and time and time again. The Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. He says, encourage one another with these words. Point each other's eyes to the future hope. Help them see the last chapter. God wins. This is getting better. The bad will turn out for good. The good can never be taken away. And the best is yet to come. Lift their hearts up. But use the bigger story of what God has done in and for us. We want to live for something bigger. Do you remember in the movie Braveheart? I'm dating myself here. And if you're under the age of 30, you're wondering, what is he talking about? I don't know if you remember this scene. When, uh, when the men are all lined up to wage war in the battlefield. And they're overtaken like so many of us on a daily basis, myself included. They're, they're starting, it's starting to creep in 
as they look around, they see the sounds, they start sizing people up. We're about to compete in the Miami International Jiu-Jitsu Tournament. And there are those jitters before the fight. They say, don't look at your opponent. I can't help it. I'm always looking. What's he doing? <laughs> Sizing him up and whatnot. Those are the instances in the moment. That's okay. It's good. But fear begins to creep in, right? They're over, overtaken by this sense of, of fear. They're growing weary and doubtful as if, as if, to, as if uh, uh, should they fight? Should they retreat? Should they surrender? But then... The figure of William Wallace drives in in his stallion horse. Remember that? Here's a quick scene. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. Sons of Scotland. I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as three men. And three men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run. And you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Good? It feels like going, yeah? Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ the captain. For now the weak can say that they're strong in the strength that God has given. You see, that's to him. It's to exhort, to remind one another, you have it. You have it in you. It's not of your own. It's the grace given to you. It is the Holy Spirit 
indwelling in you. And by the power that he provides, get up, let's go. Never has there ever been a more timely call for the church to be the church, to stand up to, for activated lives of power. Activated lives of power are contagious lives. You probably know people around you. They're contagious. And it builds bravery into one another. It reminds how we've been perfectly loved. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he writes, and we learn that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Do you see? If the gift of encouragement is to breathe courage that dispels and causes fear to vanish, love is what fuels it. That's the power that we have received, the power to love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. You see, it has to do with religiosity. It has to do with trying hard. It has to do with shame and guilt. That's not it. Whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love. You've been perfected in love. There is no room for fear. So here's the call, Crossbridge, Pinecrest, Crossbridge family everywhere. Take on that which you have received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the Holy Spirit of God indwelling. And look in every opportunity, in the platforms, the gifts, the proclivities, the talents, you know, the abilities that God has given you to encourage, to lift those around you, to love someone. The sensitivity to hear the voice of God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis. God, speak to me. Who needs to be encouraged right here? Sometimes we're rubbing shoulders with you. We're not listening, but it's right there. See, John Bunyan, who is one of the most prolific and impactful Christian writers, probably, in my opinion, after C.S. Lewis, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And I don't know if you read that. Great book. There's a famous quote. He says, you have not lived one day until you have, until you have done something for someone that could never repay you. <laughs> You haven't lived today. It doesn't count. You're ripping pages from the calendar. There goes Sunday. There goes Monday. There goes Tuesday. Let's go. Until it gets to when I can sleep in. Have that break. You're, not, you're counting the days. You're not making the days count. And what he's saying is that every one of those days, until you encourage someone, until you instill bravery in, by means of love, <laughs> until you've loved someone, so much, and to the degree that they are never, they're never going to be able to pay you back. They don't have the resources to pay you back. But that is a lot like the gospel. That is a lot like how God has dealt with us.